If you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and we'll read together verses 16 through 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning at verse 16. Now, please listen, for this is the Word of God. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked, and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It's good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Amen. And we give thanks to God for this reading from His holy word. To God be all praise and all glory, now and forevermore. Amen. I sometimes listen to Star 99.1, the local Christian radio station. I'll be honest with you, I don't actually uh, listen to it all that often. I, it seems like they've only got three or four CDs that they seem to play over and over again. Every time I listen, they seem to have the same tunes playing. I actually, believe it or not, prefer to listen to, to country music. Ten years in North Carolina will do that to you. That's all entirely beside the point. The times that I have listened to 99.1, occasionally they take a little break from, uh, from playing music, and they play this game that's called Bible or Not. I'm sure some of you are familiar with that. What they do in this game is they read out some famous quotes, and they, they ask the, the caller number 17, whoever it is, uh, they ask the question, is this quote, is it from the Bible or not? That's, believe it or not, why it's called Bible or Not. It's actually quite a fun game to play. If you go online, you can find a number of websites where you can challenge yourself. There's even an app uh, on the Android store uh, where you can play this game. Now, very often, they, they, they have all these quotes, and, and, and some of them sound very much like they do come from the Bible. The ones that are most often confused with uh, Scripture are quotes uh, from William Shakespeare. But then there's a whole host of other quotes thrown in. Go ahead and play it sometime. You know, go online, have a look, try playing the game, and I think as you play it, you'll actually surprise yourself. You'll surprise yourself at how poorly you actually know the Bible. Anyway, there's this phrase that's, that's thrown around in this type of context from time to time. It's a phrase that's said to come from the Bible. It's, it's, it's one that many Christians say that they try to live by because they think it is in the Bible. And this phrase that we just read from the, the NIV the, um, in, at the end of, of verse 18 really doesn't help us very much because it makes it seem like this phrase, and I'm about to tell you what the phrase is, it makes it seem like this phrase is actually in the Bible. Now, of course, the phrase that I'm talking about is all things in moderation all things in moderation. It sounds, doesn't it, like a, like a very good Christian biblical ideal. It sounds like the type of thing that you would want to live by. It sounds like that's what the teacher, the, the writer here of Ecclesiastes is trying to tell us in this, in this translation anyway. And didn't Paul in the New Testament tell us to do all things in moderation? Didn't he say that somewhere? There's all kinds of quotes thrown around 
about moderation. One of, one of the most famous is, is one, I think it's attributed to Mark Twain. Uh, he writes, all things in moderation, including moderation. Now, before we get into the problem of uh, verse 18, if you do a little bit of studying, you'll find that the phrase, all things in moderation, as it stands, doesn't appear anywhere in the Bible at all. You'll, fi you'll find a, a couple of verses that, that talk somewhat about moderation, that talk about temperance in certain areas of life, but you won't find this particular phrase anywhere in the Bible. But you may very well say to me, what, what, Ian, what are you talking about? It's right here. You've just read it. It's in verse 18. This talks about avoiding all extremes. I'm going to come back to that. I told you I would. So please, please hold on. Some credit this phrase with being an old English proverb. Others say it was coined by the, the Greek philosopher Aristotle. Others still point it to coming from other um, ancient Roman writers. But one place that we know the phrase actually came from was from above the doorway uh, to the temple of Apollo at Delphi in ancient Greece. It's actually, what, what, what's written there is actually the, the, the corollary. That's a word that I really have a hard time saying. I don't know why I'm trying to say that word, but corollary of what is written there. You find the Greek phrase, meden agan, meden agan, which literally translated means nothing to extremes. Nothing to extremes, and you turn it around, and you've got the phrase, all things in moderation. I found a great little article online a little while ago that helped to put this whole phrase into, into context and into perspective. It would seem, wouldn't it, at first glance, that this is a really great idea. Do all things in moderation. It does seem very Christian. It seems like the type of thing that Jesus would want you to do. But is it really? Is it really a Christian ideal to do all things in moderation? The problem's not with the concept of moderation. The problem's with the inclusion of the, word, the words all things. I mean, think about it. Are we really supposed to be moderate in all things? How do you moderately love your children and your spouse? How do you moderately feel compassion for, for families who lost children and loved ones in the storms last week in Oklahoma? How do you feel moderately enraged at a man who kept three young ladies captive in his home and repeatedly abuse them? How do you feel moderately about that? Moderate in all things? How do you moderately rejoice when you graduate from high school or from college? All things in moderation? It just doesn't seem to work, does it? But what about the problem of verse 18? Isn't, isn't this saying the very same thing? Isn't this saying to avoid all extremes? Isn't it echoing exactly what was written above the door at Delphi? Isn't this stating in no uncertain terms that all things in moderation is a biblical concept? 
Well, here's a great example for all of us of why when you're studying Scripture, you have to read two or more translations of the Bible side by side, because different translations of the Bible are often sprinkled with a particular theological flavor of the trans, translation team. They, they, they employ some, some measure of interpretation into the translation. There are, there are variants on ancient texts that are used, and some of the translators use one text in favor of another. And then in terms of the Old Testament, there are Hebrew texts, and there are, there's another version of the Old Testament that's called the Septuagint. That was a Greek translation of the Hebrew text. So, you've got all of these factors and other factors playing into the way a particular passage is translated. So, you've got this passage that the, 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 the translators of the New International Version um, have, 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 have translated as saying, the man who fears God will avoid all extremes. The English Standard Version translates it a little bit differently. It says, for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Do you see what happens here? When you take even one different translation, it gives you a somewhat different way of looking at the text. Instead of the passage here talking about avoiding all extremes, what it means is not every single extreme, but what it means is all of the above. Everything that I've just been talking about, these extremes of, of over-righteousness and over-wisdom, the extremes of, of over-wickedness and foolishness, these are the things to avoid. All of these things. Don't be striving for, for righteousness to such an extent that you become so impossible to live with because of your self-righteousness. Don't strive for so much wisdom and knowledge that you end up being a smart, alecky know-it-all. Don't keep lusting after the ways of the wicked and following in their footsteps. Listen, there's enough sin lurking in your life and in your heart already to destroy you many times over. And then this last little phrase is actually quite interesting because when we think of the word fool. We tend to think of someone who's just a, a pure and simple idiot who doesn't seem to get it, or even someone who's, who's always trying to play the fool, the, the class clown, the one at whom you roll your eyes when, when he, because invariably it is a he when he walks into the room. But when the Bible talks about a fool, it's, it's related to to wickedness. The Psalms give us a great understanding into this concept because we're told a number of times that the fool is the one who says in his heart, there is no God. The fool's not an idiot in the sense that we would think about it. The fool is the one who is godless. So, what he's saying here uh, is, 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 is don't let your doubts about who and what God is consume you and overtake you. These are the extremes that the teacher from his own life experiment, as we've been looking at over these past few weeks, and, and, and from his own experience of that experiment, is trying to tell 
his readers and his hearers to avoid. Self-righteousness, arrogance, sin, and godlessness. So it's clear that we are to avoid certain extremes and that we are to be temperate and self-controlled in many areas of our lives, that we're to hold certain aspects of our, our lives in check and to keep many things in balance. But at the same time, as Christians, as followers of Christ, there are also places where we are naturally or rather supernaturally called to live a life of extremes. What in the world am I talking about? Well, let's think about this just for a minute. If we are called to be followers of Christ, as Scripture spells it out, and as that life has been lived out by many Christians throughout the centuries, we have to say that we are called to become like Christ. That's what Paul tells us in Romans, is God's will for us. You want to know what God wants for you? You want to know God's will for your life? It's straightforward. God's will is for you to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, tell me, tell me that it's not extreme for the one who was and who is the eternal God to clothe Himself in humanity. Tell me that is not extreme. To be born in the same way that you and I are born. To live a life on the edge in first century Palestine, to move from place to place accepted by some, rejected by many. Tell me it's not extreme to love his own so much that he would go to the cross and die, that your sins might be forgiven once and for all. Tell me it's not extreme that every moment of eternity, Christ is pleading your case and pleading my case before His Father in heaven. That when I sin and when you sin, He pleads with His Father, don't look at Ian. Don't look at Ian. Look at me. I died for him. I took the full punishment that he might go free. He is covered with my righteousness. Look at me. Look at what I have done. Tell me that's not extreme? Moderation in all things? I don't think so. You know what moderation in all things actually is? Indifference. There is little that Christ despises. Yes, I'm using a very extreme word here. There is little that Christ despises more than indifference. How can I say that? Well, turn in your Bibles to, to Revelation chapter 3, and I want you to mark this passage. If you've got a pen or a pencil on you, mark this passage, because this is the passage that calls us to extreme living in Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 15 of Revelation chapter 3. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Make up your mind. Will you stop sitting on the fence? Stop with this moderate nonsense. Hate me or love me. Pick one. I don't want your indifference. For those of us who live by the name of Jesus, and any one of us who calls ourselves a Christian, 
is living by the name of Jesus. We can't be indifferent, although so many of us are. We can't live to please Him just a little. Our very being should be about living to please Him. Remember the words of the catechism? What is our chief end? What is our sole purpose in life? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever is the answer. We can't just love Him moderately. He has loved us enough to lay down His life for us. He loves you passionately, and His desire is that you love Him and live for Him with all that you are, with a burning passion, with an all-consuming fire. Forget moderation when it comes to Jesus. Get off the fence. Step out of your indifference. Love Him. Live for Him with all that you are, with all that you have. Because until you do, you've never loved and you have never lived. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.